welcome back to the Der Show. I'm, I don't usually get involved in, in, in partisan uh, politics. I'm not a political expert. I mean, I care a lot. I'm a, myself a liberal Democrat who generally votes for liberal Democrats. I'm certainly not a Republican. I voted occasionally for uh, Republican candidates. And in one case, I wish I had voted for uh, Romney over um, over Obama for his second term. But but I'm not a political analyst. So uh, take what I have to say with uh, the appropriate uh, caution, because today I want to talk about the Republican primaries, the Republican convention, and who I think the Republican nominee is likely to be. Obviously, if you had to bet uh, on a single person who's likely to get the Republican nomination, of course, it would be former President Trump. He has all the name recognition. He has an enormous base of support. Uh, we don't know how many uh, millions of people uh, support him, but uh, certainly at least a third of the country, uh, many more if you look at the results of the last election, close to half. But uh, he's lost some support probably. And, you know, as as the field grows, more and more people will uh, be supporting other candidates. Um, and 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 so his level of support at this point is probably certainly is greater than any other candidates. But is it greater than all the other candidates combined? Uh, we don't know. Um, today, Paul Ryan uh, the former Speaker of the House and a very important person in the Republican Party. In fact, somebody who may himself be seeking uh, the nomination. He sought it before. He was, of course, the vice presidential uh, candidate back in the day, and he he lost. Um, and and I, uh, but he may run again. So, but his view is that um, the more candidates run for the Republican nomination the better are Trump's chances of getting it because the other candidates will divide the, the anti-Trump uh, vote. Um, the anti-Trump vote consists of some anybody but Trump people who really don't accept Trump at all and others who would, would clearly accept and vote for Trump but would rather be the nominee themselves. Um, Nikki Haley, I think, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, I think fit into that category. I don't know whether Mike Pence fits into that category. He certainly um, has had a rough time in relation to former President Trump, although he and Trump are now working together to try to prevent him from uh, being forced to testify um, in front of Congress um, or by prosecutors invoking um, executive privilege, which he has absolute right to do and which former President Trump has the right to do. It's absurd to think that current President Biden, who I voted for, but it's absurd to think that current President Biden has the right to deny former President Trump executive privilege. It would mean that no president could ever uh, talk in confidence to um, any of his subordinates or cabinet members or vice president for fear that as soon as he leaves office, his opponent uh, to, re to run for president will be able to uh, disclose everything that was said in secret. That, that makes no sense. Uh, as somebody who is deeply committed to the lawyer-client privilege, I would go to my grave before I reveal things that clients have, have told me over the years. I don't discuss them with my wife. I don't discuss them with my children. I only discuss them with uh, my co-lawyers in a case or with, with the client. Uh, but the idea that people would disclose that uh, would really be objectionable. And 
executive privilege, like lawyer-client privilege, is rooted in the Constitution. The executive privilege is rooted in Article II of the Constitution, and the lawyer-client privilege is rooted in the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution and the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution as well. So um, I'm, I'm completely in favor of Pence and Trump working together to try to prevent any forced disclosure of communications, even communications involving January 6th, which, as you know, I was strongly opposed to President Trump's speech and strongly opposed to the efforts to invade the uh, White House and the efforts by, I'm sorry, the Capitol and the efforts by some to try to prevent the um, uh, orderly transition. I think very few in the crowd actually were trying to do that, but there were some that were. In any event, uh, let's let's turn back to to politics. So I don't know who's going to get the Republican nomination. I don't know who's going to get the Democratic nomination. I think the most likely combination is going to be a rerun of the last election. I think, uh, obviously, if Biden wants the nomination and if he's healthy, um, he'll get it uh, without any opposition. Nobody's going to run against Biden if Biden announces officially that he's running for president. That will be a slam dunk. Um, Trump has announced that he's running for president, and already there has been some uh, opposition. We know Nikki Haley has formally announced, and we have every reason to believe that DeSantis and um, and uh, Mike Pompeo and perhaps Pence uh, will um, announce and, and run against uh, Donald Trump. Will Donald Trump get the nomination? Again, if there are four people running, um, I think that We'll see uh, Nikki Haley get a lot of votes because she'll be the only woman at the moment in the race. And although for Republicans, I think being a woman, identity politics doesn't count as much as it would for Democrats. I do think that uh, if she's the only woman in the race, she'll manage to get um, a lot more votes than uh, any of the men other than uh, Donald Trump. But she won't get enough votes probably to defeat Donald Trump. The only way that could conceivably happen is if there were six, seven, eight, nine, ten uh, candidates, each of whom had some strength, and only one was a woman. It is conceivable that Nikki Haley could could win uh, the the nomination, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely that we'll see fewer than six in the actual field, and we'll see a couple of them drop off fairly er- early in the in the primary uh, season. And then it'll probably be, you know, four people, probably be DeSantis, Haley, um, uh, um, maybe Pompeo and maybe um, Pence running against uh, Trump and Trump wins that um, uh, fairly handily. Now, uh, people like Paul Ryan have said today um, after the events at the CPAC um, that um the one thing that's clear, he said, is that Donald Trump cannot be reelected, that he will not get enough votes to carry the electoral college, certainly not popular votes. He's never won the popular votes, um, but uh, not enough to carry the electoral votes, that he just doesn't see uh, that the base that will continue to support Trump, even against a Democrat, is substantial enough to change the result of the last election. Now, of course, for those of you who think that Trump won the last election, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. But beyond that, um, you know, you might think, well, if he's won the last election, why not let him run again? Of course, one of my sons uh, does the joke of saying, well, if he won the last election, he can't run again because you're only allowed to run for two terms. But 
obviously, even if he had won, he wouldn't be serving the second term. So that's just a bad joke. Um, and so the question is, who will be who will be the nominee? Um, again, uh, my, my prediction is this. If Trump is running and it looks like he'll get the nomination, then Biden will run. I don't think Biden wants to run. My own view is that Biden would be very happy to be a one term president. He'll be, you know, 80, whatever, uh, be a one term president and um, and 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 regard himself as a somewhat successful one-term uh, president. So I think he'd rather not run, but I think he feels at the moment that he is the best chance the Democrats have of beating Trump. That is Biden versus Trump. Biden wins again. If Trump runs and uh, uh, Biden doesn't run, it's hard to figure out which Democrat can beat Trump at that point. Maybe any of them could. Um, maybe that Trump has so many negatives that a non-entity, somebody with no name recognition, uh, uh, can beat him. And, and of course, you get name recognition when you run for president. For example, Senator Klobuchar, who is not well known, but very much liked, apparently by everybody, but some of her staff members. But uh, uh, those are stories that you have to always take with a grain of salt by political enemies. Um, but, you know, Klobuchar does not have a lot of name recognition, a lot of uh, a lot of recognition of what she's done in the Senate, although I think highly of her. Um, she might very well be able to beat Trump, even if she doesn't have a lot of positives. She'll have much fewer negatives than than Trump. And, and, and elections are often run and won on the basis of negatives. Um, I think that uh, Trump versus Clinton uh, was won by Trump on negatives. Clinton had more negatives than, than Trump. Trump also was a new face in politics, had more enthusiastic support than Hillary Clinton did. Some of that luster has worn off uh, now that he's been in, in he will have been in politics for eight years at, at that point. And, uh, and so he's not the new guy in town. And so it would be a vote of negatives. And Trump now has more negatives than any of the no-name Democrat candidates who might run against him. But I think Biden will run if Trump runs. Now, the interesting question is what will happen if neither Trump nor Biden run? If Trump, say, fails to get the nomination or backs out at some point in time and then the result is that Biden backs out and doesn't run, who will be the next president? Um, we know the names of the Republicans. We know DeSantis has a lot of support and, of course, did extraordinarily well in the last Florida election, Florida, which is a state that pretty much 50-50 or maybe, maybe 52-48 in favor of Republicans. But DeSantis won overwhelmingly, got lots and lots of Democrats. Uh, votes uh, in order to win. So, you know, he'll be he'll be a strong candidate. Uh, Pompeo, of course, has never run for for statewide office. He was a congressman, um, but not uh, a senator um, um, and uh, governor. Uh, uh, Nikki Haley was the governor of a medium sized state, South uh, Carolina. Uh, Pence obviously has electoral ex experience. So the Democrats would put up some pretty strong candidates. Don't know who the Republicans would put up at, at this point in time. 
Um, I'm sure they come up with some some pretty strong candidates. You know, I say to yourself, why am I concerned about who the Republicans would put up? I'm a Democrat. I care deeply that both parties must have candidates that will be good, that will be very good presidents. Uh, I, I root for both parties to have excellent candidates. I don't want to see either party have a terrible candidate because that terrible candidate could win. I don't want to be uh, rooting for uh, a system which produces a bad president of the United States. I want the president of the United States to be strong. Once the president is elected, even if I voted against them, I support them. I don't support their policies necessarily, but I support the president of the United States. I'm a patriot. I'm a loyal American. And uh, as soon as the president is inaugurated, I root for their success. I put uh, American success way over uh, partisanship. And uh, that you know, may distinguish me from, you know, career Democrats or career Republicans that as soon as a new president gets elected, the first thing they want to do is impeach him uh, or discredit him or make him unsuccessful. Democrats have done that when Republicans were nominated and Republicans have done that when Democrats were nominated. I don't do that. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's the American way. It's happening all over. It's happening in Israel today where people who are defeated by Netanyahu and his government are rooting for his failure or trying to bring about his, his failure. My God, they wouldn't even, pilots wouldn't even from El Al fly him on the airplane. They had to get substitute pilots to fly him to Rome uh, on a state visit. Um, we talk about two countries that are deeply divided. It's the United States and, and, and Israel, but let's, let's focus on the United States uh, for now. And so... The CPAC experience was not a strong one for uh, President Trump. Uh, there were a lot of empty seats. All the nighttime uh, comics uh, mocked him. Of course, they would. Um, you know, late night comics are not uh, a neutral or nonpartisan. We know that, but they repeatedly showed the empty the empty chairs, um, and and repeatedly showed that there were not big crowds uh, for him. Not enthusiastic. Uh, a support for him. Maybe that just represents that particular organization. The organization is a conservative organization. Uh, it's not an extreme right-wing organization, obviously. Um, there are many, many extreme groups that um, would turn out very strongly for, for, for Donald Trump. And I think, by the way, the same thing would be true if, 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 uh, President Biden were to speak at some uh, convention now, I don't know whether he'd fill the place up. But first of all, it's a little early in the political season. We're not yet in the political season. We get to the political season around February of 2014. I usually mark it with Leap Day, uh, the February 29th on Leap Year, because obviously presidents are always elected on Leap Year. So we have um, almost a year until that happens. And, <clears throat> you know, people care about other things than, than politics. March Madness is in the air. Um, I'm in, in Miami Beach, Florida, where spring break is in the air. Uh, <clears throat> economic uh, concerns uh, are very central to many Americans, rising interest rates again. The Ukrainian war um, is a, a big focus. Uh, obviously, immigration is always a focus, and we see that today. The Biden administration seems to be moving towards some degree of detention of the kind that they 
were so opposed to when the Republicans did it. Um, I hope we can figure out a more humane way of, of treating our fellow human beings when they come to the United States, whether they do it legally or illegally, they're still human beings. Uh, how many of our great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents um, may have come to America under circumstances that uh, would not today meet the uh, standards of acceptance. We're a country of immigrants, and, and we have to uh, be, be sensitive. Uh, the Bible tells the Jewish people, uh, be kind to immigrants, be kind to strangers, because you were strangers. In the land of, um, of Egypt, today, uh, for example, is the Jewish holiday of Purim, Purim. Uh, a holiday which is really a prelude to so many of the tragedies that Jews have experienced over time. Uh, in the story of Purim, the evil uh, advisor to King Ahasuerus uh, urges the king to kill all the Jews. Not an infrequent event in world history. And um, the king uh, initially agrees to do that. And then this beautiful woman, Esther, uh, gets the king to fall in love with her and marries her and she being Jewish and having an uncle named Mordechai who becomes an advisor to the king saves the Jewish people. And so this is a, you know, a great holiday and it's a holiday that Jews observe all over the world, even if they're agnostics or atheists. Why? Because the book of Esther, which is in the Bible is the only book of the Bible that never mentions God. Um, the people themselves, uh, according to that book, uh, save themselves from disaster by, by using uh, all kinds of uh, means um, that did not rely on, on God. Um, you know, obviously the interpreters say, well, God's name is not in it because God's humble. But of course, the hand of God was there and, and maybe that's true. But so this is the holiday, and um, and it's a holiday that's uh, worth uh, re remembering and 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 celebrating, um, and 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 uh, it's 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 a holiday that um, uh, talks about freedom and talks about oppression and talks about some of the issues that the world is suffering uh, from uh, in Ukraine and other and other places. But the point I'm making is that we're not in the political season yet. And I think the experience with CPAC and the statements made by Ryan, they're not necessarily going to tell us what the results of the primary season will be. Again, if I had to bet money on the outcome, again, I can't control health. I can't control um, any of the external factors, but all things being equal, which they almost never are, I think it will be uh, Trump versus Biden, and I think Biden will win once again. And the key decision that Biden will have to make, and by the way, key decision that Trump will have to make is who to appoint as vice president. When you're 80 years old and you're the president, you damn well have a responsibility to pick the next president because the vice president may well be the next president. Franklin Delano Roosevelt did it in 1944 when he dumped Henry Wallace from the ticket and picked Harry Truman, a brilliant, instinctive choice of a man who became the president shortly after the election and uh, turned out to be a great president. And so I hope that uh, whoever is picked by whoever the Republican and Democratic nominees are, 
picks them, of course, there's going to be an eye toward politics, an eye toward which states are necessary, all of that. But, you know, presidential elections are not determined by who the vice president is for the most part. And I would hope that the decision who to pick as vice president will turn much more on who would be a good president, because there is a highly a high likelihood, if you look at the mortality tables of insurance companies, um, I know, because I look at them from time time being 84 years old and having to decide whether to take more insurance or not. Um, you look at those things and, and you have to assume that the, there's a possibility that one of the people nominated for vice president will become the president, if not during the term, then in the next election. So I hope that uh, all candidates are thinking hard about what's best for the American people, not what's best for the Republican or Democratic Party. So let's turn now to some uh, some letters. Um, so here there were some letters, of course, about um, the trial of, of Murdoch. Um, one of them starts, well, you got OJ off, so I guess you like helping murderers. No, I don't like helping murderers. I would much prefer to see all murderers convicted and sentenced to long prison terms. But like a doctor, like a priest, I have a job to do. And it's a really important job. And it's mandated by the Sixth Amendment. I have to defend murderers. And I have to do the best possible job. And I'm a damn good lawyer. And so, yes, I have helped bring about the acquittal of many people who have been charged with murder, some innocent. Uh, the two boys that I saved from death row uh, who were 18 and 19 years old in Arizona, were innocent, um, as were others. I think Klaus von Bülow uh, was innocent. I don't know about some of the others, and on others I can't comment. But, um, but yes, I hate murderers, but I defend them. I think the way doctors uh, treat uh, people that they probably don't like. Um, very insightful, Dersh. Thank you for taking the time to explain how to best handle a complex case such as this. Incredibly interesting. I mean, there were a number of letters that, you know, praised me for helping explain how a criminal case is operated. Oh, another one. How many murderers did you get off? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have to tell you, I sleep well at night when I win a case. I don't sleep well at night when I lose a case. And especially when I lose a case involving somebody who's innocent. I've only had that happen a couple of times, but boy, that's when I just don't get sleep because I think that's my fault. Um, if the person did it and I didn't get them off, all right, it's on them. Uh, or if the person did it, or I think they did it and got them off, hey, that's the system. Better 10 guilty, go free, than one innocent be wrongly confined. But the system does not contemplate the conviction of innocent people. And I've seen that too often. I'll just give you one striking example. Mike Tyson was absolutely innocent. He did not rape the woman he was convicted of raping. He did not. And uh, he was convicted. And I lost that case on appeal. Um, two to one initially, and then four to four. Um, the closest votes of any case. And let me tell you, I lost a lot of sleep there because Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson has said, in his act in Las Vegas, he said, there are a lot of things I did that I should have been convicted of. This is not one of them. And I believe him. This is not one of them. I think Mike Tyson was railroaded and I think he was improperly convicted. And uh, I didn't try the case, 
but I did do the appeals and it was a very, very close case. I think we had a much better argument. Um, he was deprived of the right to introduce exculpatory witnesses, witnesses who saw him going to the hotel room with the woman who claimed she was raped, snuggling with him, kissing him, hugging him, holding his hand after she had testified that she had no, didn't like him at all and had no interest in him whatsoever. And that evidence was kept out by a judge who really wasn't a judge. She was a prosecutor in robe. She had been a former rape prosecutor and she was determined to see Mike Tyson in jail. So, so much for uh, guilty people getting off. I wanna talk about innocent people being convicted and Mike Tyson was, was one of them. Okay. Um, you're a legend, Al. International treasure. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's nice to get an occasional letter like that. Okay. Um, please do a show on your position on meritocracy and our institutions of higher learning, please. Yes, I would like to do that. I think America will succeed or fail over the next few decades based on whether we abandon meritocracy. We're already seeing universities abandoning meritocracy in the interest of identity politics. Universities fully anticipate and expect that the Supreme Court will tell them they can't consider race in admission. So what are they doing? They're abolishing grades, they're abolishing standard tests, and they're saying, ha ha ha, we'll fool you Supreme Court. You, you can't accuse us of using race when there are no criteria. We can admit anybody we damn please because there are no tests, there are no scores, and you can't even tell us whether we're doing a good job because there's no way of evaluating what kind of a job we're doing because we've eliminated all methods of evaluation. So that's what's going on. Meritocracy is dying. Now you can define meritocracy different. I don't define it by grades alone, but we should be picking people based on their hard work, on their abilities, on their intelligence, as Martin Luther King said, on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I've advocated this since the 19, early 1970s. I've been in, in a minority position at Harvard Law School, at Harvard University, but I think history will prove me right over the years. Um, okay. Professor Dirsch, could you win an appeal for Alex, meaning Murtaugh? I don't think so, but I couldn't exclude that. I'd have to read every word of the transcript. And by the way, when I do a case, I do it by myself. I don't have research assistants. I read every word of the transcript. I come up with every argument. I write every word of, um, of the brief. When I was a professor at Harvard, I used students to do some of the research. Now I'm by myself. I don't have a law firm. Um, so I would have to read every word of the transcript and look at every objection, look at the law of South Carolina. I have a connection to South Carolina because my wife comes from Walterboro, the city in which this trial took place. And some of my closest cousins in Charleston are leaders of the bar there, uh, great, great lawyers. And I've argued cases uh, there, uh, but I, it, would be, it would take more chutzpah even than I have to say that I could win the appeal. It's possible, depending on what the record shows. Um, proud of defending a client who shot someone or a corpse thinking they were still alive in the head? Yes, I am very proud of that. Um, we won the case. Um, the defendant was freed and never committed any um, uh, crime again. 
and um, uh, lived his life, died not so long ago. Yes, I'm very proud of that. I did my job. That's my job. And uh, we didn't deny what he had done. The question is, did what he do violate the law? It was a purely legal question. The facts were not particularly in dispute. Can the prosecution question the defendant? No, unless the defendant takes the stand, which is why it's often a mistake for the defendant to take the stand, because if he doesn't take the stand, not only can't the prosecution question him, but the prosecution cannot say to the jury, look, he didn't take the stand. If he was innocent, he'd want to talk to you and explain to you what he was doing uh, near the kennels. Can't make that argument. You can't comment on the defendant's failure to take the stand, which now, of course, the jury can make their own mind up, but the prosecution is not allowed to make that argument and the judge is not allowed to make that argument. Okay. Um, yes, but do the extreme right and left wield the same power today? I'm a strong opponent of both the extreme right and the extreme left because I agree with Jordan Peterson, the, the Canadian commentator, that the extreme right has no real power today and the extreme left has real power today. I agree with that 100%. Uh, I think the extreme right has power to kill people and shoot people like they did uh, at the Tree of Life synagogue and, and in churches and other places. The extreme right is more violent than the extreme left, but the extreme left is much more dangerous because they, yeah, they're the future. They're the young people. They're the college students. They're the professors who are teaching the college students. So I do think they're the media. So I do think that the extreme left has much more power and is much more dangerous than the extreme right. Professor Dershowitz, you should consider becoming a libertarian. I have considered it, and I agree. I am a libertarian. I put the word civil before it. I don't know what that means. I'm a civil libertarian. What does that mean? Other people are uncivil libertarians? I'm a libertarian. I strongly believe in liberty. Uh, now, there are countervailing considerations. Um, you know, if you're uh, a contagious person uh, and are very likely to communicate the deadly disease somebody, you don't have the liberty to breathe in his face. Um, I put it often this way. You have a constitutional right to inhale a cigarette, but not to exhale it in my face. So there are limits on, on liberty. But I am a libertarian. I'm a proud libertarian. I'm a libertarian before I am a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, I'm a liberal libertarian. There are conservative libertarians. I lean toward the liberal uh, side. But I'm a libertarian first. And um, for me, liberty and the Constitution, uh, Trump uh, political and other considerations. So yes, thank you. I thought about becoming a libertarian. You've persuaded me. I am a libertarian. See you tomorrow.